last night as I was sleeping, I was actually reading Psalms 37. And I was meditating in his, over his word. And what stood out to me was part of that scripture. It says, trust the Lord. And it just, as I woke up this morning, I actually got my Bible out and just began to read Psalms 37 again. Trust the Lord. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So I just yielded to what he was speaking to me. You know, there's so many things going on around us today that are trying to intimidate us, trying to steal from us, trying to lie to us. But the Lord says, trust in him. Feed on his faithfulness, knowing that he will back up his word. Whatever he speaks is truth. So I begin to receive that. And not too long after that, he began to demonstrate what happens when we trust in him. As we were driving here this morning, it looked like a herd of deer just came right out in front of us. I don't know how many there were. There may have been three or four. We were going to knock them all over. And just in a blink of an eye, it was almost like the Red Sea parted and we went right through them. I looked in my rearview mirror, deer went on either side. Trust in the Lord. I've never experienced that before. You just trust Him. No matter what happens. It looked like an impossible situation where we were just going to hit several deer. and But the Lord delivered us. When you begin to trust Him and trust what He says, you're going to see miraculous things take place in your life. Yeah, it doesn't look possible. But with God, all things are possible. So I want to encourage you today. Trust the Lord and dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Because what He says is true and will happen. He stands upon His word to perform it. God will perform His word. But He's looking for a vessel that says, yes, I see, I hear, and now I respond. How many today is going to respond to the word of the Lord? Because you're going to see miraculous things take place in your midst. Just trust Him. That's my encouragement to you today. Just trust what He says. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken from Alabaster House, and you're listening to the Alabaster House podcast. It's our desire to see every believer equipped with the tools for living and expressing the kingdom of God in the world around them. Be sure to join us online at alabasterhousechurch.com. You can find us at Alabaster House PA on Facebook. And be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Also, leave a review if you can. This helps us out in the ratings. We greatly appreciate you listening, and we trust that you will be encouraged and equipped by the Word of God today. Great to see you. You got an extra hour of sleep last night. <clears throat> when I was a teenager, I realized you can, you can sabotage your extra hour, right? Because when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, it's, it's, the clock says 12, but it's only 11. I can stay up for another hour. But then there's this transition that happens when you're around 30-ish, where you realize, 
I'm just going to go to bed at the exact same time I always do and actually get an extra hour of sleep. So that's what we did last night. And then we, we didn't have power. We've been out of power since last night with the windstorm. And so my extra hour was a little bit sabotaged. I had to come over here to take a shower. And uh, so did all the family. Krista turned out pretty good, so I think we might do that every Sunday. <laughs> she looks pretty good this morning, so showers at the church on Sunday morning. <laughs> anyway, all right, so a lot of stuff going on. Make sure you get here for everything that's happening. Thanks for your help. Well, kids, you guys can head out. Our children are working on a Christmas presentation. Um, they're going to also be practicing on Wednesday nights, so if you can try to get them here for that, that would help Emily out quite a bit. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We were here last week, but we're going to do a two-parter. Last week we talked about glorious liberty. In verse number 17, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. And as we discussed last week, it's not freedom to do as you please, it's freedom to become like Jesus. And in the Christian life, the Holy Spirit gives us an actual spirit of liberty. He is the spirit of liberty, the spirit of freedom. And last week I talked to you about three areas of our life where the Holy Spirit brings freedom to us. Uh, One is freedom from religion. And we talked about how the Pharisees, you know, sabotaged basically God's plan. Do you know in the Old Testament there was somewhere around 300 plus laws that Moses had given the Israelites in Jesus' day, through uh, religion, it, they created over 600 laws. So they doubled the amount of laws that was required to try to follow God. And Jesus brings us into freedom, uh, freedom from the oppression of religion. And then uh, we talked about freedom from the fear of man. How that we don't have to be under a yoke of bondage. We don't have to be worried about what people think about us. We don't have to try to, uh, you know, compete with the Joneses, so to speak. We can be free from uh, the fear of man. And then we also talked about being free from ourselves. Which in reality, I think, is probably the most important of the three. Being free from your own will, your own desires... And stepping into the will and the desires that God has for you in your life. So that's, in a nutshell, what we talked about last week. And the reason I mention that is because that freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That allows us to accomplish what's written in verse 18, where Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, or open face. That, that freedom allows us to be open before the Lord. Uh, to unveil our face and, and allow the glory of God to peer into us, so to speak, uh, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. 
And what we are beholding is not ourselves, but it's the glory of the Lord that we see in ourselves. As we behold in a mirror the glory of God, we see into our hearts and into our lives those things that have not yet been made glorious. Those things in our life that still need to be transformed. So we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And as we behold Him, it's in that moment that then we are transformed into the same image that we are beholding from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. So let's pray one more time. Father, I just thank you for each and every person that's here today. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room, Lord, not just to experience your presence, but to experience the freedom and the liberty that comes with your presence. So, Lord, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would rest upon each and every person in this room so that they could experience the level of freedom that you are uh, drawing us into. And that through freedom, we can then be transformed into the same image. Make us like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Paul says there in verse 18, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This concept of transformation, this this is the Christian life. To be transformed, to be changed, to be uh, what the Greek word describes as metamorphosed, where we get our English word metamorphosis, which is, I'm sure you're familiar, the transition that the butterfly goes through. He starts off as a, you know, chunky little green caterpillar, goes into this metamorphosis stage and, and comes out a beautiful butterfly. This is the image that we get where when Paul says that behold, all things are new. The old is gone. The past is gone. Behold, all things are brand new. And the idea in Christianity is that when you go through this transformation process, you are no longer recognizable to your former self. That people who used to know you, people who did know you can now will look at your life and say, I don't know who that is, but they don't remind me anything of who they used to be. Come on, that's probably the greatest compliment that anybody can give you as a believer. <laughs> I knew them before they were saved and they were a mess. But now that some, something happened to them, Jesus touched their life, and now they're completely unrecognizable. The word metamorpho means to change literally into another form. To become something that you never were before. And this is the glorious transformation that the Holy Spirit is inviting each and every one of us into. Listen, there's nothing worse than being a Christian for 30 years and having no change in your life. There's nothing worse than coming to church Sunday after Sunday, perhaps Wednesday after Wednesday, watching the stuff on TV, listening to Christian radio, but then still responding to situations the same exact way you did 15 years ago. Come on, preaching now. (laughs) Because the entire concept, it's not a concept, the entire Christian life is about becoming like Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get there all at one time. As we're going to learn this morning, this transformation process is just that. It is a process. 
And Kristen and I have remodeled enough homes in, enough, in one church at least to know that transforming anything takes time. And that is the Christian life in us. It is the Holy Spirit working Christ into our life, but allowing him to peer into our hearts to see those areas of our life that are not yet glorious and allow his glory to come and rest in that area of our life so that it becomes glorious. We are being transformed into the same image, listen, from glory to glory. So one step at a time, one glorious transition at a time. And I could tell you, you know, a bunch of stories, and I'm still not where I want to be, but that right there is motivation enough. You know, I've had people come to me over the years, and they made a mistake, or they fell, or they, you know, got into some type of sin in their life, and they've come to me and just been open and honest, and, you know, they said, I've got this failure, I've, I did this thing, and I feel awful about it. And I always want to look back at them and say this. Do you realize that, the, that the, the reason you feel awful about it is because the Holy Spirit has actually transformed something in your life? Because there was a time in your life where you didn't care? <laughs> and, the, and the enemy wants to come, he wants to beat you over the head every time you fall or make a mistake. You know, oh, look at you, you call yourself a Christian and all this thing, and make you feel even worse. But the fact that you feel something different than you felt before tells me that you are in the process of being transformed. So give yourself over to transformation. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and do something in you. Now there's this story in the Gospels, at least three of the Gospels, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 9, where Jesus himself goes through a visible transformation. It's called the transfiguration. But it means the same thing. It's the same word there. It's the same metamorpho. To be transfigured or to be transformed. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't quite wrapped my head around this story. It is perhaps... In reality, beyond Jesus raising the dead and beyond even his baptism at the Jordan with John where the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes down, I think that this story is probably the most supernatural thing that happens in the life of Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are the only three disciples that are there to witness it. It is absolutely incredible and amazing and we don't give it enough credit but Jesus, in verse number one of chapter nine, says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, then six days after that, Jesus looks at Peter, James and John and says, OK, guys, you come with me. We're going on a little trip. And it says he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. 
And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. The transfiguration. It just takes up a very small portion of uh, Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke where it's recorded. It's just this little kind of thing that it just kind of pops up. It just happens. It's just this momentary thing. But I want to tell you this morning that what we've just read is one of the most powerful events in the life of Jesus. He is literally, physically, visibly metamorphosized into another being. And I love how Jesus begins this this journey when he looks at his disciples and says, there's some of you who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to actually give you a visible demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like. And notice, he didn't take them and raise Lazarus from the dead. Notice he didn't take them and heal a lame man or a blind man. Instead, the visible evidence of this visible kingdom of God coming was when Jesus himself was personally transformed by the kingdom of God and the disciples were there to see it. Okay, maybe I lost you on that one, but... (laughs) You know, isn't it funny when Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats... He, you know, he blesses the sheep, well done, faithful servants, enter into your kingdom. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. (laughs) Right? But then what does he say to the sheep? It's the same thing, but then opposite of that. But then what what do the sheep say to Jesus? But Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all these charismatic signs and wonders in your name? And Jesus looks back at them and says, but depart from me because I never knew you. And the word know there, knew you, is the word gnosko, which means intimate knowledge of. As we stand before Jesus, beholding his glory as in a mirror, face to face, as a man speaks to another man, it's in that moment where intimacy with the Lord brings transformation into our life. Listen to me, you charismatic Pentecostal people. There's a few of you in this room at least. It's not about getting some check mark on your healing list. It is not about getting some check mark on how accurately you prophesied. It is about getting a check mark of transformation in your life. And according to what Jesus told the, the goats, all the stuff that they did didn't matter. What mattered was that they should have been intimate with Jesus. They should have had intimate knowledge of Him. They should have been 
metamorphosized, transformed into another being. Gifts are free, but transformation is costly. And I do believe that God wants, I don't believe, well, I believe a lot of things and I don't believe a lot of other things. (laughs) I believe that God does want to bring us to a place of brokenness. I don't believe that that's through sickness or disease or calamity, even though God can reveal himself through that stuff. But I believe that God wants to bring each and every one of us to this place in our own heart, in our own being, where we look at him and say, God, I am not enough. And in order to be enough, there is only one thing that will fill that void, and that is you. To bring us to a place of brokenness in our own hearts, in our own lives, where we ourselves realize there are things in our life that are not glorious, that are not bringing glory around us, and then to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that he comes and brings transformation and, and transfigures us. And the transfiguration that happens in Jesus' life is a result of the kingdom of God coming and being present inside of him. Come on, for far too long we have only preached the gospel of salvation. Where we say, say this prayer so that you can go to heaven. But that's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven says, yes, I'm going to go there one day, but now I'm going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so I can bring what is there here. (laughs) I'm not so concerned about going there as I am concerned about bringing what's there here. That's the kingdom of God. And that's the gospel that Jesus preached. And he's telling his disciples, we're going to go on a trip and you are literally visibly going to see the kingdom of God present with power. And so he takes his disciples, these three, on this journey. And I want to talk to you just a minute about what does transformation look like in our life. Because it is going from one form to another. It is a process. But it is also a process that you and I have to give ourselves to. Come on, God is not going to force you to change. (laughs) I mean, you know, he did with Jonah. I mean, he has his ways. But Jonah could have still said no and still have died in the belly of that fish. He didn't have to say yes. God forced him, (laughs) in a sense. But he still could have said no. But transformation comes when when we give ourselves to it. And we read these stories in the Bible and we just we we skip over so much stuff. Because it says there in verse number two that Jesus led them up on a high, high mountain. We just skip over that, right? We just think, well, one day they're down there in the valley and the next day they're up there on the mountain. It just happened just like that. Listen, I've been on enough hikes in Pennsylvania to know. I like hiking in Illinois. That's where I'm from. The flatlands. You just walk, just like this floor, just whoosh, and you're there. It's amazing, but not in Pennsylvania. I mean, we have something right down the road called a thousand steps, a thousand steps of death, a thousand steps of suffering. And like, I know people like I, I don't see Jason, but Jason and Krista has a cousin, Corey, like these people go there every day and run 
up and down the steps, thinking you're outside of your mind. I don't know what reward is there on top of that mountain, but I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. (laughs) If you see me running up a thousand steps, you better run because there's something behind me you don't want to catch. And what I'm trying to say is we just we take out all the energy and effort of what transpired as Jesus led them up on a high mountain. Like this was a journey. This was something that they literally physically had to give themselves over to. And I want to tell you this morning that transition in your life is something that you have to willingly give your life to. Willingly give yourself to transformation. Transformation is a journey. It's not a one-step thing. It is a process. It's a process. You know, you look at so many different people in, in Scripture that were transformed. I mean, even Peter, who's on top of this mountain, it's not too long after this that he's going to deny Jesus. Even Peter, when he's up on top of this mountain, once again, puts his foot in his mouth <laughs> You know, there's Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And the Bible says he was scared, so he didn't know what to say. Do you know sometimes it's better to not just say anything at all? (laughs) Like you don't have to open your mouth over every situation. But there's Peter blowing his mouth open again. And it wasn't a rebuke by God when God says, because it's right after Peter says that, it's not a rebuke by God when God says, this is my beloved son, hear him. On top of this mountain was Jesus being transfigured, glory coming out of him, radiating through him. And then there's Moses and there's Elijah. And if you study scripture at all, you know that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. It's fascinating to me that Moses actually dies, but he appears there. But Elijah, as you know, was swept up in a whirlwind. He never died. And probably the reason is, is because of how Jesus prophesies about the spirit of Elijah returning to the earth in the person of John the Baptist. And even in the book of Malachi, God warns, he gives a warning. I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah back to you to reunite the sons and the fathers back together, lest I, lest I smite the earth with a curse. Elijah was the greatest One of the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus describes John as being the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, but John came in the spirit of Elijah to reunite sons and fathers back together again. And so Peter gets confused and he's like, let's build a temple for each one of them. Let's house them right here on earth. Well, the problem was, is that Jesus, the Bible says, fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that Moses and Elijah represented in that moment. So why build a temple to something that has already been fulfilled? But that's what Peter says. He sticks his foot in his mouth yet again. And just a little while later, he denies Jesus three times. He flees. He goes back to his fishing boat. But then there is the time when he's... In the upper room in the book of Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit comes and tongues of fire come and it is Peter who gets up and stands before the crowd of thousands of people and declares the gospel to them. And never again after that moment does Peter deny Jesus. Transformation. 
Paul, who was Saul, was radically metamorphosized when he encounters Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. And there's so many people that we could talk about in Scripture that were transformed. They became a different being. They became something uh, that they weren't before. But at the same time, we should be able to go through this room and tell our stories of how God has transformed us. How He's metamorphosized us. I knew a couple years ago down in West Virginia and... uh, the husband, you know, he, he came to church all the time. And he was just rough around the edges, just he was kind of rude. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, he was a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> but his wife would always make excuses for him. She'd say, you know, he was he's, he was a Marine. He just that's how he was. He's a Marine. He's retired military. And I was always thinking to myself, I know lots of people have been in the military. And none of them are as bad as he is. <laughs> And the problem wasn't that he had been through some kind of experience in the military. The problem was he wasn't allowing Jesus to transform his heart. And to be honest with you, last year he died. Come to find out he was an alcoholic. Why go to church for that many years and die in your own sin? Why go to church for that long and not allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform something in your life? Come on, guys, we have to be honest with ourselves. It is not about going to church. It is not about fulfilling some religious duty on Sunday mornings. The whole point of what we do here this morning, the whole point of this Christian life is so that the Holy Spirit can come into us and change us from one form to another. And as I talked to you last week about being free from yourself, transformation has a lot to do with allowing the Holy Spirit to free you from some attachments that you have from your past. Allowing the Holy Spirit to, to literally do what Paul describes as bringing in the life of new creation life. Allowing the old things, the former things to be gone and the newness of the kingdom of God to come and change you. I love what Paul says in uh, one of his writings. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting the past, forgetting those things that are behind me, and I press forward to my upward calling in Christ Jesus. Sometimes one of the best things that you can do is let go of the things that have happened to you. But see, this is where transformation comes. This is how transformation becomes visible. Just uh, on Friday night, we went to a Banquet Titus 2 Ministries, I didn't know that much about it, but it's a ministry that ministers to women, women who've been abused and all the horrible things that you could imagine. And see, what happens is when you're transformed, you bring transformation to people around you. (laughs) Transformation is reproduced. It's one of the ways that you actually know you've been transformed. It is evidence of the transformation that has taken place in your life. I'm free from those shackles. I'm free from those chains. And I've received transformation in my life. So now I'm going to go free people who need the transformation that I've experienced in their own life. 
But Jesus is here on this mountain of transfiguration. I don't completely understand it. It is completely mystical, supernatural at the same time. And it says that his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And the only way that I know how to personally explain it is that the glory that was on the inside of Jesus radiated to the outside. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And the glory that was inside Jesus inhabiting his soul and his spirit all of a sudden became visible on the outside. Transformation is visible. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples before they went up to the mountain. There are some here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then he takes his disciples up to the top of the mountain so that they can visibly see the kingdom of God coming out of Jesus. Come on, we don't just receive Jesus as Savior, we also receive a kingdom. The message that John the Baptist preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which literally means repent, change the way that you think. Because the kingdom of heaven is within reach. And what's required for you to reach into the kingdom of heaven and pull on it is the transformation of your minds. The way that you think. Now Peter, in 2 Peter, actually writes about this experience on top of the mountain in 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse number 16, Peter says this. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven. And when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's talking about transformation. He's talking about seeing the morning star, seeing the day dawning in the person of Jesus as Jesus is metamorphosized on top of this mountain for them to visibly see the change that the kingdom of God brings to a person. The kingdom of God itself is transformational. Paul said that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, we are not just inviting Jesus into our life. The fact is we don't invite him into our life, we give him our life. But we are also becoming a temple, a vessel for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell. The Bible says when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, that the Holy Spirit came and alighted on him. In other words, it came and rested on him. I've told this story before, but we used to have this cockatiel right after Krista and I got married. I like birds. 
she doesn't. They are messy. But we, somebody gave me this little cockatiel, cute little thing, yellow face with these big orange circles on its cheeks. And I'd come home from work and let it out of its cage and put my hand down on the floor. It'd crawl right up to me, nuzzle on my ear a little bit, let me know it loved him, loved me. And for some reason, it didn't like Krista. <laughs> but I remember when I used to get up off the floor and I'd walk around the apartment and I have that little guy on my shoulder. I had to walk, I had to walk with him in mind. Right? You're not going to jump around. You're not going to run down the hallway. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and alighted on Jesus. Very similar to that experience. And at the same time, after the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus, how many of you know that Jesus then walked in mind of the Holy Spirit resting upon him? And when you walk in mind with the Holy Spirit upon you, it brings you to a place of transformation because you can no longer do the same things that you used to do with Him resting there. <laughs> you know, you, I, I love the Emperor's New Groove. We talked about that a long time ago, but in that, in that movie, you know, he, uh, what's the, Kronk is getting ready to make a really bad decision and his angel, his, his shoulder angel and his shoulder demon, you know, they show up on his shoulders and they're arguing back and forth as to which decision Kronk should make. And I think, if I remember right, he, he goes with the devil, which wasn't very, very good on his part. But in the life of a believer, it, you don't have shoulder angels. You have the Holy Spirit. And when you're walking through something, when you're experiencing things in your life, it's not some shoulder angel that pops up and is trying to navigate you to do the right thing. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Bible says that our spirit bears witness with His Spirit. And there's something inside of you when you're going through something, when you're facing things in your life where the Holy Spirit is near and it's that small, gentle whisper where He's trying to navigate you into this other place, this transformation place. Listen, it's no fun when the power goes out. We, we, are, we just take so many things for granted. And last night the power went out, got home, there's candles everywhere, it was beautiful in there, it's romantic. <clears throat> there's candles everywhere, you know, and I look at my phone and look up the thing and sure enough there's a power outage and they say it's going to be done at around 11.30 p.m. So I was like, alright, well we'll just go to bed. I made sure I switched off all the light switches because I didn't want to be sound asleep and then the power come back on. So I switched off all the light switches to make sure I was just going to sleep nice and peaceful. And then I woke up this morning bright and early. And I look around and I realize, oh, I think the power is still out. <laughs> then you got to scramble and everything, you know. And then you got to get four kids showered and your wife and me. And everybody's got to get a shower. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is going, this is going to be something. It's going to be a process. But I realized because we just walked through it with peace. It was beautiful. Nobody got upset. The kids were playing Legos until midnight last night. Just having a good time. But how many of you know in situations like that, 
your flesh can pop up, your old man can pop out, and you can get mad, and you can get angry. I can't believe the power is not on. This is going to be an awful day. You don't have no internet or Facebook. What am I going to do? <laughs> this is how you know transformation has taken place in your life, is when you respond to a situation differently than you used to. Respond to a situation differently than you used to. Transformation is a journey. Transformation is visible. Transformation is reproduced through us. I love what uh, Peter says here, that it's like a light shining in darkness, that the morning star rises in our hearts, the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And as the light comes into our life through transformation, the light should also be seen through us. Come on, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus described us as a city on a hill. Jesus said that we were the light of the world. When Jesus goes up to the mountain to be transfigured, literally, He becomes light. But He looks at us as believers and says, you are the light of the world. And what needs to happen for us to burn even brighter is to allow the process of transformation to take over our life so that the light of Jesus can radiate through us. Transformation is reproduced. The evidence that you are being transformed is that you transform others around you. I was, you know, I was studying this story and I realized that just after the transfiguration, where it's recorded in Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke, that just after the transformation, there was the same story. I mean, if you know, when you read the Gospels, these guys all had different perspectives and different stories and stuff to tell. But after every time we read about the transfiguration, the exact same story was told afterwards. And that story is when the father brought his son to Jesus, who was an epileptic. You remember this story? In reality, it's the only place in the Bible where someone was prayed for and they were not healed. And it says in Mark chapter 9 and verse 14, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them. Now this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on top of this mountain. They see this incredible uh, event happen. They come down off the mountain. And when they come down off the mountain, there is Jesus' other disciples. How I many of you know Jesus had more disciples? And this man had already, while Jesus and Peter, James, and John are on top of the mountain, this man had already brought his son to the remaining disciples that were down here. In the valley. And he asked them to heal his, their son, but, but they couldn't do it. And he says in verse 17, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not do it. And Jesus' answer is, O faithless 
generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, this sounds really bad in our English language. And Jesus was rebuking them. Make no mistake about it. In another translation, another portion of scripture, he says, O faithless and perverse generation, (laughs) you without faith and twisted thinking is what he's saying. O faithless and perverse generation, listen, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? What Jesus is literally saying is, listen, guys, I'm not here much longer. I'm getting ready to go. Getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be given over to men. By this time, he's warned his disciples on many occasions of what's going to happen to him. And now Jesus is literally telling his disciples, listen, guys, you've got to get this right. I'm not going to be here much longer. How long am I going to bear with you? How long am I going to be with you? Now, see, in our theology, we would say, we would believe, some people would believe that if the father brought his sons to Jesus' disciples and they couldn't cure him, then perhaps it wasn't God's will for the son to be healed. Come on, have you ever heard that before? It's a nice excuse when you pray for somebody and nothing happens. Well, it's just not God's will. It's not God's timing. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? It's not what Jesus does. And Jesus demonstrates to us that it is always God's will to heal. Always. O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to be here with you? And then they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the boy saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed inside of him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed and foamed at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has the boy been like this? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown Uh, He has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. And Jesus says this, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. What is Jesus about to do? Jesus is about to transform the belief system of an unbelieving father. Not only that, he's about to transform the belief system of unbelieving disciples. And where, where does this story fall? It falls immediately after the transfiguration where Jesus Himself has gone on a journey. His transformation is visible and now His transformation is about to be reproduced. Jesus is literally about to invade a dark circumstance with the light that radiated out of Him on top of the mountain. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus, in verse 25, when he saw that people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirits and said, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead. So that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And what does Jesus say? This kind comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, I don't have time to tell, and I've told it a hundred times already. But in this story, I don't believe that Jesus was just specifically talking about the demon in the sense that this kind of demon only comes out through prayer and fasting. If you read the account in the book of Matthew, you'll see that the entire subject matter before they get to this 
verse, the disciples say, Jesus, why could we not cast out the, the demon? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. So Jesus' answer wasn't because you didn't pray and fast enough. His answer was because of your unbelief. And what we know about prayer and fasting is that prayer and fasting changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you believe. Transformation comes through prayer. Transformation comes through fasting. Transformation comes through reading the word. Transformation comes through being with Jesus. And Jesus says, this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. And so Jesus in this entire story is bringing transformation to this situation because he himself was just transformed. Are you guys with me? Let me give you one last scripture and then I'm done. Romans chapter 12. And verse number two. I have to be honest with you, I was <clears throat> I'd felt like I preached part of this message before, you know, after you preach for I don't even know how many years anymore. <clears throat> you know, th- there are times, you guys, that I repeat stuff. I'm sorry, but it happens. You know, I admire these traveling evangelists who have like five sermons in their back pocket and they can just pull them out as they go to different churches. That's wonderful. I wish that I could do that sometimes. But I try to make it as fresh and new every time. But I I knew that I had talked about some of this stuff before. So I got onto YouTube a lot of our messages are on there, especially some older ones from West Virginia, and I was just thumbing through them. And on that particular channel, there's some videos of our kids and when they were real little, and I started showing Kristen, showing the kids. It kind of almost became this family event. And, you know, I was a, a, a little sad because my, all of my children have transformed over the last 10 years amazingly. And maybe it was just an emotional time, but I started thumbing through some of my old, real old videos. And not to brag on myself, but I, I am a little bit better preacher than I was back then. I did notice that. <laughs> but I was listening to some of the stories that I was telling back then and some of the things that God was doing. And I was just taking on this little memory lane journey for a moment and I remember the one of the greatest transformations in my life was in West Virginia when we were at Victory Assembly of God and we were going after miracles and we were going after healing although at that time we weren't seeing a whole lot of you know what I would say instantaneous miracles and Dan Moeller had come and Grew out a leg's la- uh, lady's leg right in the front row of the church. And not too long after that, Krista and I went to a water park. And you've probably heard this story before if you've been around me for any amount of time. But I remember we were at this water park. My kids were little. I mean, little, little. And there was a little boy in the little kiddie pool of this water park. And he was crawling like a seal. And at first I thought he was just playing around. But the more I looked at him, the more I realized one of his legs was short. And when I say short, I mean like his foot on the short leg came to the knee on his long leg. And here I am, a preacher, 
Here I am, just had Dan Moeller to my church and saw God do something amazing and I'm sitting back there, I've got my own four little kids, he's breaking my heart because I'm just debating. Have you ever just fought yourself about praying for somebody? You know, and then you start visualizing it like Jesse told us on Wednesday night, you start seeing God do the miracle and all this stuff was going through my head and I have to be honest with you, I walked away, but it killed me. And the whole way home, I, was talk- I told Krista, I confessed. It broke my heart. And when I got home, I had made a conscious decision. God, I don't want to walk away from one of those situations ever again. And I'd like to tell you that I stayed true to that promise. There's been some that I've walked away from, unfortunately, but there's been many that have happened. But it brought transformation into my life as I began to seek God. It brought transformation into my life as I desired, I desired to be different. I desired something else in my heart and in my life. God, I want to see you do something. I want to see you move. I want to see, I want to experience something for myself. And see, what actually happened is as I was praying, I wasn't even praying for miracles. I was just praying, God, more of you. I just want more of you. I need more of you. But as I was praying those prayers, God was transforming things in my own mind, transforming things that I believed, transforming things that I had heard, all of this stuff happening. And all of a sudden, one day, it just all came together and then we saw a great move of God. But this is what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I'll close with this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, you cannot know the perfect will of God unless you've been transformed through the renewing of your mind. And there was a time where I believed, and this doesn't just apply to healing or miracles, but there was a time where I believed, well, maybe it's just not God's will. Maybe it's just not God's time. I believed all that stuff because that's what I was told. But as I allowed the Holy Spirit to come and begin to transform things in my life and begin to seek Him out, I realized that all of those things that I had believed, all those things that I had been conformed to, needed to be transformed so that the glory of God could then come and be revealed through my life. And listen, can I say this morning, it's just not about miracles and it's not about healing. It is about you. It is about you. It is about you coming to a place where you desire change in your life. It can be in your marriage. It can be in relationships. As I told you last week, it can be in finances. God wants to transform every aspect of your life. Nothing left except for the glory of God. Peace, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God, and that's what God wants to bring into your life through the process of transformation. So let go of the past, let go of the hurt. Let go of the things that you learned growing up as a child. Let go of some experiences and allow the Holy Spirit to come and transform those areas of your life. And as he does, you'll find that the transformation that he brings you through will be reproduced through your life. 
and other people around you will then be transformed because of you. Will you stand? Hallelujah. I have to say that probably, you know, other than seeing people healed, seeing people saved, I think one of the greatest things that I enjoy the most is seeing people transformed. And in reality, we have a room full of people here today that have been transformed and that are being transformed. You're around people this morning that have left religion, changed the way that they think, even according to the family pattern that they were brought up in. And I'm so thankful for what the Lord's been doing in each one of your lives. And if I could encourage you in anything this morning, it's just simply this. Just continue to be transformed. Continue to give yourself over to the Holy Spirit. Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to change your mind, change your thoughts, change the way that you think. And if there's anything in your life or in your heart that you recognize as not being glorious, as not having the glory of God attached to it, Transformation comes just as simply as recognizing that thing that's in your life and just saying, God, I know that this doesn't belong. I know that this area can be better. I know that this area can be healed. So I'm giving you this area of my life. And I'm asking you to transform me. Transform this thing in me. And make it glorious. From glory to glory. Come on, can we just pray that this morning? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room. We invite you into our lives. Lord, we come before you today with open face. Unveiled. And we ask that you would allow us to behold the glory of Jesus as in a mirror. That we beheld his glory. And as we behold his glory, Lord, let us be transformed into the same image. Not our image, not the image that we've created in our minds, but the same image. And as we're transformed into your image, Jesus, we ask you that your glory and your life and your light would radiate through us. Lord, that where there was conflict in our life, there's now peace. Where there was hardship, there's joy. That where there was chaos, there's peace. In every area, right now, in Jesus' name. In every area, right now, in the name of Jesus. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. 
right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, if you're here this morning and you just feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart and you just be honest enough to say, there's areas in my life I need transformed. We want to agree with you this morning. We want to just invite the Holy Spirit into that area of your heart and of your life. So before you go, I'm just going to ask you to do one more thing. If that's you, and you just say, yes, I need transformation. I need, I want to be changed. I want to be. I want to give myself to transformation. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come forward this morning. It's not a place of condemnation. It's a place of ministry. It's a place where the Holy Spirit comes and just ministers to your life and to your heart. But would you come? Hallelujah. Amen. As these come, let's have some of you all come behind them. Let's just begin to pray for them. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Come and change us, Lord. Hallelujah.